how do we make sure that the robots behave ethically? And that is a real can of worms. That's a difficult problem, especially when you have robots that are plugged into the internet. Hi, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and this is Future Proof. Welcome to another thought-provoking episode of Future Proof, the podcast where we explore the edges of tomorrow. Today, we dive into a conversation with award-winning science writer Eve Herald, discussing her latest book, Robots and the People Who Love Them, Holding On to Our Humanity in an Age of Social Robots. This book, hailed by Publishers Weekly as a captivating and clear-eyed analysis of Android's shortcomings, explores the transformative role of socially interactive robots in every aspect of modern life, from friendship and work to love and warfare. In today's episode, we unravel the complex web of human-robot interactions, Eve sheds light on her inspiration behind the book, and shares surprising discoveries about our evolving relationship with robots, We also delve into the ethical implications of robots, capable of reading and reacting to human emotions, the potential of AI and robotics in therapeutic settings, and the future of work and employment in a world increasingly reliant on automation. Join us as we navigate these uncharted waters, examining how robots might change human culture and address issues of loneliness, and even ponder the possibility of robots developing psychopathic personalities which I'm sure we're all excited to find out more about, a little bit freaked out about too. Prepare to be challenged and inspired as we discuss whether our future cohabitants will enhance or endanger our humanity. Let's jump right in, starting now. So Eve, welcome to Future Proof. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think first thing, I know I had some of this in the intro, but in your own words, who are you and what do you do on a day-to-day basis and how do you define yourself? Oh, wow. I'm a whirlwind, essentially. I'm a science writer, a longtime science writer. So I write books and articles for publication. But I'm also a consultant in the scientific and medical nonprofit space. That keeps me quite busy. Lately, my consulting work has been very steady. But the writing is my first love. And that's really where I live and breathe. So that's kind of it. No, I think there's, I mean, yeah, it's a really interesting background. I think obviously I can see how that can kind of inspire some of the work in this book. But considering recent advancements on, you know, even humanoid robotics demonstrating new capabilities, I think this is a perfect, I don't know how you manage to time this topic so perfectly, but certainly this is a pretty amazing timing. What inspired you to explore the impact of sophisticated robots on humanity in the new book? Actually, the idea was percolating around for several years. And this goes back all, I first decided that I had to do a book about this in 2016. So it's been quite a few years. I was working on another book called Beyond Human which was about the convergence of medical technologies like computing and microelectronics and long-lasting batteries to create bodily implants that will either cure disease, enhance functionality, or even possibly enhance things like mood. And I kept running across these mentions of robots that were being enabled to take care of disabled people. And I was captivated by that. A lot of it is because we have such a shortage of caregivers for people who are disabled. And on the other hand, people who are disabled like to live in their homes. They don't want to live in an assisted living facility. So 
these robots that were being developed were doing all kinds of interesting things physically for them, but they were also socially engaging. They spoke, they were voice activated, they talked like a person, they would listen to what you were saying, respond to what you were saying, learn from what you were saying for future reference. And it was just fascinating. It just opened up this whole world. And once I started doing the research, I realized it's a very young field. The field is only about 20 years old. But there's already a considerable body of research that's been done in testing with social robots. And as you probably are aware and your listeners will be aware too, the technology is just moving ahead at lightning speed. So while I was writing this book, There were so many innovations and so many developments. And since the book was finished, there have been developments. So it's a moving picture, but it's fascinating to me. One of the terms that even though I'd say like I maybe follow this field more than some people, but, you know, certainly you're a nine out of 10. I'm like a four maybe compared to you. But the idea of social robots, I thought was really interesting. I never really, as I was thinking about robotics, I never kind of broke it down into social robots and other types. But maybe for our listeners who are coming in on the ground floor, how do you define a social robot? So a social robot is a robot that is able to exhibit human behavior to some extent. And by that, they listen, they learn from listening, they speak to you, they converse with you. And everything that you tell them goes into their memory. So over time, they accumulate a lot of information about you and they become exquisitely programmed to your taste, your desires, and your interests. So combined with expressions, they feign emotional expression. So they will say things and do things physically in the way that they look, in the way that they gesture, that suggest that they feel emotions. Of course, they don't, not at this point anyway, but it's actually very convincing. If you've ever seen one of these robots, it's way more convincing than you think it would be. Well, that to me is also one of the interesting things about this is that we kind of say that we are like, oh, we're so smart, we're not going to be able to, or we're not going to be fooled into quote unquote, I'm, you know, doing air quotes as I say this, but I mean, we say that like, we're too smart to be, you know, messed with in some way and to actually start to develop emotional connections with robots. And I think that's totally wrong. I think we create emotional connections with things that can't move or aren't really human all the time. So how do you envision social robots starting to alter our concept of uh, friendship and emotional connections? Because I think that's certainly fertile ground. That is one of the biggest changes that's coming down the pike that I think people are probably not prepared for. But what happens, and studies have been done of people's brains and functional MRI imaging when they're interacting with robots. And what the research shows is that the same parts of our brains light up when a robot says something to us that would light up when a friend says it. And in our minds, there's a blurring of boundaries. So and it's all about our hard wiring and it's about how our brains work. People of all ages blur the boundaries. And this is just as true of adults as it is for children. So when you combine the features of some of these robots, which is their interactive ability, 
there, you combine that with movement, you combine that with expression, and the brain gets a little confused there. So they're in a whole different category of being now. I mean, we need a new category for social robots as far as how we perceive them and how we interact with them. Well, yeah, I think it's also interesting that this is something where like we clearly were social creatures to the point. This is something that I learned from the book is that we're almost inclined to attribute human-like qualities to robots. So some of it is that we're creating them in our image in a lot of ways, right? Because we crave that social connection, we're creating things that we're more likely to be able to develop a social connection. And as we essentially get better at this, it's certainly going to increase the pace at which we start to create more of these emotional connections with them. You really hit the nail on the head, Jeremy. I mean, it all interacts with our gregarious social nature, which is pretty much irresistible for us. You know, we're very social animals. And this is only the second technology that actually reaches into the emotional, social realm of life. The first one was social media. But this one takes it a step further because you have embodied agents, although there are lots of bots that are not embodied, and we can talk about those some more if you would like. But in the case of household consumer robots, they're embodied, they act in the world, we can watch their faces, we can see their heads turn, we can make eye contact with them. And over time, we really, on a level, start believing that there's an actual mind involved here. This is just part of a long, long history of anthropomorphizing things, which is something we've done since we were childhood. And it doesn't take a really sophisticated robot for people to anthropomorphize them. People name their Roombas, you know, for heaven's sake. Robots that look humanoid and converse with you are on a whole different level And it's literally an effort, a continuous effort and struggle to keep telling yourself, okay, I'm not talking to a conscious being. This robot says something to me like, I love you, and right parts of my brain light up, but that is not real. And that's where the conundrum comes in that I think we need to kind of get a handle on this before we move much further into this territory, and these actually become household robots. So... Yeah, I like also that I think that this book, it dives into some of the positives, but obviously some of the negatives that we have to be looking at. And it's a very even-handed approach, I think. Obviously, some people are listening to this and they're thinking about, well, what about the ethical implications of this technology? And I know that's something you've spent a lot of time thinking about as well. I do, because there is an ethical dimension to it on a lot of fronts. I mean, for one thing, There's the ethics of having a robot be a primary caregiver and companion to a person with dementia, a young child, people who have certain mental illnesses and can't really delineate between what's real and not real and can start to focus expectations on these robots that they'll never live up to. So that's an issue. Another issue is. How do we make sure that the robots behave ethically? And that is a real can of worms. That's a difficult problem, especially when you have robots that are plugged into the Internet. There's material on the Internet that you do not want incorporated into the personality of your robot. 
but it's out there and robots are not able to discern. It's like when you give a robot data or information, it has no way of evaluating that information. It just uses it the way you tell them to use it. So when they go online and they see like all these horrific things on the dark web or whatever, that goes into their memory and their personality patterns. So we really need to get a handle on that one. And I don't think we're close to doing it, unfortunately. Well, you do mention a bit in the book about the chance of robots essentially going bad and developing psychopathic personalities, which to me is like, that's a great thought to keep you awake at night, right? And just thinking about the fact that you've got this empty vessel, but we're kind of capable by not putting the guardrails, the proper guardrails, we can almost cause it to go bad and then we have to live with it. So is that like a very real likelihood if we don't put those proper guardrails in place? I think it's an inevitability if we don't put the guardrails in place. I used a couple of examples in my book. One of them was the personality named Tay. I don't know if you remember that from the book, The Tay was an online bot that was created by Twitter and was designed to emulate the type of speech patterns of a young woman, I'd say a 19-year-old woman, going on, talking to friends, conversing, how a 19-year-old would interact. And what happened is when they released her on Twitter, within 24 hours, she had become a racist sexist, foul-mouthed psychopath because of the things that people had said to her and deliberately fed her with. And human behavior is really the crux behind all of this because robots will do whatever we tell them to do. And unfortunately, there needs to be some way to weed out toxic, damaging information things that we don't, personality traits that can be emulated in a robot that we don't want to happen. Another really scary thing to think about is that because they're online, they can be hacked. So it's bad enough that your computer can be hacked, but if you have an embodied robot in the house with you and they get hacked into by some bad actors, you've got a real problem on your hands. Well, right. And I think that this is obviously an important thing to kind of, I know a lot of people know this, but you know, you have robots that they can be hacked and basically manipulated by a human being almost in kind of real time without necessarily having that robot be purely driven by AI. But then the conversation of AI has obviously gotten really big because of some consumer-facing advancements over the last year. And there is a lot of AI doomerism and concerns about AI posing existential risks. So how much do those threats overlap? Because obviously, I imagine if a robot's connected to the internet, if it's AI-driven, and if you're not basically privy to its programming or its programming goes haywire because you allow it to essentially learn And it does something that's, again, it goes back to that idea of guardrails, I guess. Does AI essentially make this whole problem worse or just more important to make sure that we get things right with respect to advanced robotics? That's a great question. And you probably saw the story in the last week or so where Boston Dynamics, the maker of some very advanced robots, endowed their dog-like robot spot with ChatGPT. And to me, this is all very exciting. And I kind of talk about the downsides of things for sure. 
But I'm really not into the doomerism that we kind of are hearing. It's a bit of a struggle to separate the hype on both sides of the spectrum. There are people who just think AI is going to save the world and it's going to solve all of our problems and we're going to live in some kind of utopian era. And then there are people who think that AI is going to literally wipe out all of humanity. I don't think either of those extremes is what is going to become reality. I think AI is going to do wonderful things. It's already doing some amazing things. But the problem is with generative AI like ChatGPT, the bugs haven't all been worked out of it because accuracy is a real issue right now with AI. And I kind of like cringe when I see some of the context that it's being used in because there have been some famous cases where, in fact, that the New York Times wrote about about a legal case where an attorney used a chat GPT to do his research for him, went into court, was citing all these various court cases that were allegedly precedents, and the AI had made them up. They didn't exist. There's another case where an AI was asked to book a travel arrangements for a person, and the AI booked, I put that in air quotes, a flight that didn't exist. So this has got a ways to go before it really becomes reliable. And things are happening so fast, it might happen in the next five to 10 years. Who knows? You know, the accuracy level could get a lot better. As of now, having chat GPT and a robot that's in your home that you rely on is really not as useful as it should be because you can't rely on the accuracy. And I think the accuracy, that aspect of it is critical when you think about, you write about how there are labor market trends, there's growing reliance on automation to address labor shortages. And you can see a social robot taking care of somebody who is elderly, and then knowing that elderly person isn't, let's say, happy or doing that well, and then just dropping them in a river. I mean, that to me is obviously like a little bit of a crazy dark scenario, but just thinking like, well, this person's not happy. So let me go help them by not having them be here. So it's just because the lawsuit thing is one thing, but we live in a physical world, of course. And then that aspect of like relying on something physically is very different than relying on something to file something in court. So it it just seems like the accuracy thing is going to come into focus so much more over the next few years, for sure. And the stakes will be much higher because they'll be doing things like teaching your children and taking care of an elderly family member or a disabled family member or just living in the home with you. There are ways that computer scientists can limit some of their actions. There's something called a utility function, which kind of sits in a robot or in any kind of computer, sets the limits, the parameters There are certain parameters that you can work within and not outside of. So there's some control there, but it's not perfect. And the thing is, these robots, because they are in the real world and are learning like a child would learn from experience, you cannot possibly know every decision that they're going to make. You can't predict everything they're going to do. And we really will know once this happens and these robots are sold and become, you know, and there's a body of experience on the part of consumers using them, 
to find out really, you know, how dangerous they are and what some of these dangers are, because I would think there are some dangers that we currently can't even think of because we just are not that familiar with the technology. And we're maybe going to get a little bit closer to it, obviously, and then we'll start to figure out like what we have to solve for as we get closer to it, because that's just the way that we've generally done things in society. And I know that there's something else that you talk about in this, which is related to that, is there could be future of work related issues that we're going to either solve or that are either problems that we might create also. How do you envision the future of work and employment evolving in a world where robots are increasingly being used to address labor shortages and also efficiency concerns? Well, you know, Jeremy, that is a really good question because all throughout history, at least modern history, there have been new technologies that were feared, greatly feared, that they were going to unemploy mass numbers of people. And then somehow over time, we managed to replace the job that the automation was doing with other jobs that humans were uniquely capable of doing. And I'm basically an optimist. So I think that over time, this will change the way we work. It will eliminate some jobs. I mean, there's no question about it. It has to. But new jobs will be created based on the fruits of the experience of having this technology integrated into all these different functions at work, you know, whether it's like language-based or data-based or movement-based or interacting with people even, I think new opportunities will arise. But there could be a period of difficult, you know, adaptation before people really start to create those new jobs. But yes, technology for sure is, I mean, there are jobs that are going to go away. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, it's market-driven. And so employers who can maximize their profits by reducing their payroll are going to do it. That's just the way it works. And in some ways, I think this is something we've talked about a little bit on the show before, which is that we continually redefine what it is to be human. I think that there was a time before we had horses that could, you know, or oxen that could, I don't know why I say oxen. It makes me sound like I'm very biblical but just pull things that were heavy, right? And maybe we consider that was part of what we had to contribute at that point. And then we just realized ultimately that there were other things that we could contribute that were more impactful than just being strong and physical, right? So maybe that's going to continually be redefined. And like, as we have more and more of a trend towards automation, you know, that will undoubtedly, I think, impact human culture in some ways, as you write about. Well, you're absolutely right. It brings to mind an interesting quote from Henry Ford. Henry Ford said people criticized what he was doing when he was making cars. And (laughs) they wanted to stick with horse-drawn carriages, essentially. Henry Ford said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have told me they wanted faster horses. And instead, he gave them the car. So it's like there's a paradigm shift that takes place whenever there's a new, profoundly transformative technology coming into play. It's something that is hard to predict, but time and again, we've seen first how electricity changed society, 
because all of a sudden the workday could be extended because of electrical light. And then we've seen how computers have transformed. The smartphone has transformed life. Robots are going to do that too. And we can't really foresee every nook and cranny, every vagary of how that could play out at this point. So I know I have to let you go in a second, but this is probably a good question to end on, given what you just said. Every nook and cranny, it's definitely a a good way of describing some of the research that you had to do for this book, but you've also been around the field for quite a while. So were there any surprising discoveries for you that as you were researching this, that you made that, that you just anything you discovered about human robotic interactions and or the future and where you think it might lie in that regard? Yeah, there were a lot of things like that. But I would say the main one that comes to mind is that the fact that adults are about as gullible to reacting to these robots as if they were human as our children. I had originally thought, well, that just naturally falls into childhood culture. Children do that naturally. So we expect that. But then, of course, we're expected to outgrow it. But with robots, When they did studies, they found that when adults interact with them, they overestimate how intelligent they are. The lines are blurred in their brains as to whether they're dealing with a conscious entity or a non-living machine, and they easily get taken in and seduced into emotional relationships with these machines. So that surprised me because... You know, we all like to think that we're so eminently rational in everything, but our actual wiring says something different. So that surprised me, and it was eye-opening. And then as I have seen and interacted with some robots, I was able to experience how truly captivating these things are and how you really have to resist the urge to anthropomorphize them. So... It's a muscle we haven't really developed yet. We'll develop it over time. We're going to be, well, that's what I was going to say. I think we're going to be forced to because if anything, one thing I kind of came awake being convinced of is that we will be spending more and more time interacting kind of directly with robots that are somewhat anthropomorphized in the same way that time spent with media has just skyrocketed over our lifetimes. I think the same thing is going to be true where we will have these social interactions with things that aren't quite human. So yeah, it's a fascinating book. We'll have a link in the show notes to encourage everybody to pick it up and they'll learn a lot. It's both that, you know, something that feels a little bit promising, but also there are a few things that we have to be mindful of as we're figuring out this relationship with the social robots of the future. But Eve, thank you so much for making the time. This is great. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Eve for making the time. I was a little freaked out by the conversation, but in a good way. I learned a lot. I hope you all pick up the book. And if you like what you just heard, and this is your first time here, be sure to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, the choice is yours. And if you're a longtime listener, please remember to rate and review Future Proof, as that's the number one way we get the show in front of people just like you. Got a burning question you want covered on a future episode? Go to futureproofshow.com to submit. Special thanks this week to producer Jason Stack. Once again, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and you've been listening to Future Proof.